0: Welcome to 364.15 True Crime. We're bringing you true crime via the Dewey Decimal System. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm here with my ride or die and co-host, Sam. What's up, Sam? What's up, Kat? Ah, uh, yes, the Dewey Decimal System. I'm taking you back to the good old days of the public library with the call number 364.15. Three, social science. Six, social problems. Four, criminology. One, Crimes and Offenses, Five Offenses Against Persons. Today's book is Tiger Girl and the Candy Kid by Glenn Stout. The cover is black with gold embossing. It's reminiscent of the 1920s. Among the embossing, there are two Tommy guns. At the top of the cover, there's a diamond and inside the diamond, there's the face of a woman who looks determined with a sly smile. At the bottom is another diamond with the face of a man in a fedora looking slick and all about business. So this is another Hoopla digital book. It was available to borrow from the library. And I did borrow it, but the font was a bit small for me. And the digital book allowed me to adjust the size of the font. So I went with that. Sam, what does the 1920s make
1: you think of? Um, probably The Great Gatsby movie. Okay, yes, the old cars, the outfits, the pinned up hair, just the wild parties, champagne. Great, dance. it
0: reminds me. I i think of um, movies like those ridiculous bank robbery movies with those guns with that big round thing full of oh, god, bullets, it's like... you know, just shooting up the street. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: yeah, and all the robbers
0: are in like three-piece suits with fedoras, and they yes. leave like hanging off the side of the car with their hair <laughs> like perfectly in place. Oh, jeez! Or the or like the movies with the flapper girls and like burlesque. Yeah, paper screaming "extra, extra, read all about it." Oh man! And the Who's bootleggers, I know bootleggers <laughs> and speakeasies. Yeah. Oh, my God. Have you been to a modern day speakeasy like no. today? No. I've heard of them, but no. First of all, it's ridiculous because
1: liquor <laughs> is legal. Let's calm down, people. All right. Yeah, but I think it's more like the aesthetic, the feel like you go into a place and it doesn't look like it is one and you go like to a lower level and you're like, oh, my God, it's so fancy. <laughs>
0: OK, I'll, I'll give you the feel of it because my brother bought <laughs> me the one in New York City. All right. Okay, see? <laughs> Here we go. So the entrance, right, is mm-hmm. a balloon store. Oh, my goodness. Okay, and outside the balloon store, there's these two brawlic dudes, just huge dudes standing outside, right? They ask for the secret password. My brother gives it to them. You we need a password? Yes. that's pass, dope. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> so funny. <I> <laughs> So we go in the balloon store, but there's no balloons. Instead, it's like this mysterious dark hallway, and it has warning signs like "Beware, do not go forward," "Toxic, proceed with caution," and at the end of the hallway is like a door that has one of those sliding slot things for yeah, people so they to can look see out. The eyes, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so my brother does this like secret knock, and the slot slides open and like this old-timey voice is like "Mm, coffee or tea and my brother's like water and the slot closes right and the door Mm -hmm. opens you go inside and everyone's wearing regular clothes
1: oh that would kind of disappoint me that would kind of disappoint me i would expect the suits and the flair the Right, no, all that.
0: no. They check our IDs. They oh. they collect the the money to get in, and they're playing fucking Diplo. Ah!
1: <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck? Disappointment that would be in my soul. You're not even playing like jazz, like 19- no a swing to it, no. Oh,
0: jeez. So we, we go to get a drink, and these motherfuckers are serving drinks in teacups, because that's how they had to do in the speakeasies back in the day. Teacups? Teacups, like the little teeny itty bitty teacups. Shots, tea, shots in teacups.
1: That's what it's doing. not shots.
0: It's a they're, oh. they're putting a mixed drink in a in teacup, a Okay. and that's literally the only thing in this place that is reminiscent of a speakeasy. I guess how much they're charging for this teacup?
1: It's New York too. Uh, $20, $30? $25. Uh, See, just just because New York. Yeah. (laughs) They're just charging you for the experience. Yeah, girl.
0: I looked at at my brother and I was like, you need to take me to a regular club in the hood right now.
1: (laughs) You're like one and done. Get me out of here finish that teacup sir we gotta go yeah let's go we gotta go
0: so before tiger girl and the candy kid gained these monikers they were margaret and richard whitmore married in october of 1921 in baltimore they're approaching about 20 years of age
1: Aww.
0: two years prior the great war ended have you heard of the great
1: war Yes. what is it you know Oh, isn't it what, what ended like or what started the Great Depression? No. How I See now. I've heard of the Great War. Wait. This is cause this is pre World War One. Or was that Great War? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Now I'm confusing. <laughs> was the Great War technically World War One? Yes. I didn't know that. Okay, till I, read this I, book. I swear I was I don't know why I thought it was two separate things. So yes. Yeah. World War One was the Great War.
0: Yeah, and it, it yeah. didn't change to World War One until there was World War Two. Exactly, yes, yeah, that's why. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so Remember kind of dumb, dumb dumb because I learned Remember that when you? I was today like years old. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. after the Great War came the Spanish flu epidemic and it killed around four thousand members of the Baltimore community. And also, there was a economic downturn of the Stark the stock market, yeah. and it crashed. It wasn't as bad as the Great Depression, but it happened really fast and unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So unemployment was at an all time high, and the soldiers returning from war replaced women and young men in the workforce. Mm-hmm. In previous decades, immigration brought in folks from. Cultures that took pride in having large families with many children. As a result, by 1920, high school enrollment went up by 650% and college enrollment tripled. There were too many people and too few opportunities to have the American dream. You know, the white picket fans, the stay at home mom, two and a half kids,
1: successful dad. This is sounding awfully familiar, honestly. Yeah.
0: folks that wanted to have enjoyment in life decided to do so but in order to do so they had to live in the moment and forget the future what mattered was right now and
1: right now this jazz baby oh i could could just hear it that's what that's what i should have said when i thought about the 1920s the music
0: but jazz. See, see, jazz is not music. Jazz was a vibe. It was a lifestyle. And it was an expensive lifestyle. We're talking diamonds, cocktails, fur coats, fancy cars, pinstripe suits, flapper dresses. Fancy, fancy,
1: fancy. Oh, missed me. My wallet hurt
0: so bad. And the Whitmores wanted jazz. I don't blame them. After their wedding, the Whitmores moved into an apartment where, if Margaret maintained the cleaning, they could live without rent. She got a job with the phone company. And this is back in the day where the operator would pick up, you tell them who you want to talk to, and they take the cord and they pull it out of one spot, and oh, put it in the other spot. Yes.
1: Seen, on, seen that in movies. Yes. Yeah,
0: so that's what <laughs> she did. Now, Richard, on the h- other hand, he got money where money could get got. All right. <laughs> Richard was the Alley. Yep. Little more than a week after their happy matrimony, Richard and his homie head down the street from his childhood home, creep into the backyard, and climb into a neighbor's window. They rummage through the house, filling the homeowner's suitcase with anything worth money. Jewelry, watches, whatever. They close up the suitcase, leave through the front door, and casually walk away. What? Yep. That's brazen. That's brazen as hell. Yeah. Unfortunately, a nosy neighbor saw them and knew that they didn't li- live there, and they called the police immediately.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Based on the description provided, the cops knew that it was Richard because he had been a nuisance to the cops since he was a kid. Oh, jeez. But that wasn't enough evidence for an arrest. The cops went around to local pawn shops and found out that Richard and his buddy tried to pawn one of the homeowner's rings. And just like that, Richard was sentenced one to 10 years in prison.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. One, that's a hell of a range. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I don't look at the judge like, um, you couldn't be more specific. <laughs>
0: One to ten, right, girl? You're oh. one week into marriage, your man gets one to ten. It's nineteen twenty.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm a, listen, you, you standing Margaret, by your man? I'm, I'm dipping. What you mean? You figure that? You figure <laughs> that out, bro? You, I'm going where the money resides. I can't stay here with you.
0: Oh lord.
1: Well, Margaret, that one to
0: ten is wild. I'm it's kidding. wild, yeah. Well, Margaret was determined to stand by her man no matter what it took. She moved in with her mother and continued to work at the phone company. But she didn't want to just stand by. She intended on taking care of Richard while he was on the inside. And on the jazz scene, there were plenty of men with plenty of money looking to spend an evening with a beautiful girl on their arm and maybe a bit of companionship, you know? At the time, birth control was new and available, and it made sex safe and childless. So Margaret would take jobs as a, quote, artist model, which would introduce her to respectable men who would take her to jazz clubs as arm candy and perhaps a bit more at the end of the night. Essentially, an
1: escort. Margaret was an escort. Wait a minute, Margaret. How, wait, you said she stood by her man, but she was out here working
0: for some change, Cat, okay? Listen, the, it, the <laughs> most important thing to her was to take
1: care of her man. I hope he appreciates her. I don't know f- if I start escorting for a man on top of him being in jail. That's, that's wild.
0: I mean, at least she got <laughs> to have sex
1: and she party. Good. I hope the money was worth it.
0: I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm hoping, Margaret, that you got yours <laughs> and
0: some change. That's all I'm hoping. So with the money she earned, she did treat herself. But okay. to her, it was most important. She put money on Richard's commissary, and she would bring him gifts to brighten his mood. And as for Richard, you know, don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. <laughs>
1: You do that, Richard.
0: Don't do it. <laughs> so you know how they say prison can make an amateur criminal into a professional criminal? Yes. Let me introduce you to the Kramer brothers. Okay. They were born in 19... Oh, no. Not the 19th. Hello. It was 19. <laughs> 19. You right? Nope. Hey, you. They were born in 1892 and 1893. Basically Irish twins. They were raised in Poland in the Jewish culture, and at the time, Jewish folks dominated the jewelry, diamond, and gem industry. They moved around Europe their entire lives, learning about the industry, making connections, and learning different languages. By the mid-1910s, they settled in London. They set up an antique store in the middle of the Diamond District. They subtly got to know the store owners, their inventory, their routines, and the details of their safes. Because the Kramers were burglars, and not only burglars, but safe crackers. Have you ever seen someone crack a safe in real life? No. I Who did. I did. What?
1: Yeah. Who have you been around? My dad. <laughs>
0: My dad. <laughs> oh, God. I went I went with my dad on bring your kid to work day oh my goodness <laughs> and you know he was an engineer he worked in this huge building mm. and now this safe it, it needed a key and the key was lost so you know my dad just drilled it with a power tool and I'm just sitting there like, that's all, that's, that's all it takes. You didn't have to like put a
1: glass to the thing. No. And, 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 come on, you could have made it exciting. <laughs> oh, geez. He just power tooled that bitch and was like, it's open. Yep. Here you go. Oh open sesame.
0: <laughs> so the Kramers proceed to commit multiple, multiple burglaries, breaking into safes there in the Diamond District. And it was, Shortly after opening their shop, and the cops found this sus. But when the cops would question them, they wouldn't rat each other out. I mean, they're brothers. Mm. And they also didn't hold on to the goods they stole. They would sell them as soon as possible. The cops couldn't arrest them, but they knew they were up to something. So they labeled them as undesirable and deported them back to Poland. Could you imagine being able just to, like, point at someone and say, eh, you're undes you're undesirable be gone you Phil. Be yeah gone.
1: you get on,
0: get on the boat you gotta go you, you gotta go you know how many people in my life would no longer be Americans ah.
1: <laughs> lord I'm not I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one <laughs> please the-
0: on ellis island except like, exactly.
1: deportations listen, <laughs> listen line after line that book would be packed okay, let me see. Right. Woo. while being
0: escorted to poland the brothers dip out on their security and head to america and settle in new york city dipped from london no of going back to... they were like somewhere in the middle of europe oh so
1: and they were like uh, we're not going back to Poland. Sorry, we're going to go to the U.S. Yes. C- okay. And so while in New York City, they
0: would travel outside of New York City, commit the burglaries, sell the stuff and go back to New York City with cash. So they were going wild, going to this town, crack the safe, bring cash home, that town, crack the safe, bring cash home, over, over and over again. And they lived a really low-key life in New York City. They invested in real estate. They would stash their cash in security deposit boxes. Um, they dressed only fancy enough, fancy enough to fit in and enjoyed their vices of, you know, hanging out with high-class women and gambling. These two robbed 15000 worth of gems and jewelry from a safe in Detroit. And today, that is $419,000 after this one the cops like question them and they they find like information about the bank that they have the security deposit box but again there was no jewelry all there is is cash so um they couldn't get arrested but the kramers were like yo it's too it's too hot out here so they go to philly right Mm -hmm. and so from philly they start doing robberies in baltimore right they case this this jeweler called uh steeman and Norwig, right and they both go in at the same time but they act like they don't know each other one brother's window shopping the other one is asking to see very specific items watches cuff links really high price items that had to be retrieved from the safe it was the sort of shit you just did not leave in your display okay After doing that, they hung around in the neighborhood. They tracked the routine of the cops, got a sense of the layout of the buildings and the streets. And then one night in the middle of the night, they broke into a neighboring business whose office was above the jewelry store. They cut a hole in the floor, lowered themselves down into the jewelers by rope and landed right on top of the safe. They break into the safe and steal another $15,000 worth of gems and jewelry, hoist themselves back up the rope, replace the floor, and walk out the front door of the neighboring business and just go down the street and go
1: home. That's wild. Yes. <laughs> that is like Ocean's 8 worthy. Like, what the hell? Nah, Ocean's 8 was yeah. trash. Oh, damn. You know what? Oh. <laughs> But when the cops,
0: <laughs> okay, Perfect. When the cops were interviewing the owner in Norwig, he remembered them. And he gave a description of them, and he said they were, you know, being like weird. You know, now that this happened, and I think back on it, they were, you know, real concerned with the safe. So he gives the cops a description. And it matches the description of these New York City robberies that had happened. So they issue a warrant for the arrest of the Kramer brothers. And they had pawned, for I don't know why they did this, but they pawned jewelry in Philly that was from the Baltimore robbery. And so that's how the police find them. They bust into the room with their guns, drawn. the cops do, right? And when they do, the two brothers are making out with two women. <laughs> and the women scream and they try to run. And the cops are all, where do you think you're going, Missy? And all four of them are arrested, right? What the women do? I was just
1: here. <laughs> Casting. <laughs> what? <laughs> making out as a crime, sir? <laughs> Let me go. Where's my lawyer? That's wild.
0: Now, unfortunately... The kramers had their safe cracking tools with them and they had given one of the women a ring that was stolen and she was wearing it oh
1: that's a rookie mistake
0: but while the brothers didn't rat on each other they made sure the cops understood that the women were innocent so the women would let go but both of the brothers were sentenced to 10 years each in prison in baltimore and four years into that sentence, they crossed paths with Richard Whitmore. Richard Whitmore stepped foot in jail, and he was not trying to be someone's bitch. Okay, from day one, he made it known that if you fucked with him, he was gonna beat
1: your ass to hell with the consequences. Listen, I'm riding on that train because if I ever, knock on wood, if I ever went to jail, I'd be on that. I'm fighting the biggest bitch. Yeah. Less- <laughs> <laughs> i'm over in the corner like please oh <laughs> uh, listen either i'm a, either i'm gonna win or i end up in the damn uh, medical bay i don't know which one's gonna happen but listen it's better
0: than get getting... <laughs> the kramers are all brains and no brawn and richard was exactly who they needed to move out of burglary, and make big moves on the robbery scene. The three created a quid pro quo relationship. Richard updated the Kramers about how the world had changed since they've been in prison. So much was new in those four years. And the Kramers taught Richard how to commit smart crimes, letting him know it's all about casing joints and making big hits, and turning their wares into cash quickly and never staying in one place too long. Once they had taught each other all there was to know, they had one goal. Get out of prison as soon as possible. They all steered clear of trouble, went out of their way to be helpful where they could. They were exemplary prisoners. Richard earned his way up to working in the hospital ward as an orderly, escorting prisoners around the hospital unsupervised. That's how trusted he was.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Richard behaved so well that he gained release in 1924 having served 4 years in prison. And guess who was waiting waiting right outside the gate for him?
1: Of course
0: his loving wife, Margaret. <laughs> Richard went with Margaret and moved into her mother's house. His parole required him to get a job. So he hit the streets, filling out applications, but constantly being denied. Remember, unemployment is soaring at the time. He would go to somewhere to fill out an application and have to wait in line for hours with other people that were also trying to fill out the same application. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. It was real disheartening. And Richard had to wait for the Kramers to get out of prison before he could make big hits. Yeah, You know, all their plans, everything they did in prison would go to shit if he ended up back in jail before they got out. But at the same time, he's looking at all these folks going to these jazz clubs with these snazzy cars and fancy clothes, diamonds, throwing money around. And he's thinking, look, there's money to be got. (laughs) <laughs> these, these people are clearly getting money from somewhere. I just can't. Yeah, he's like, I just can't get it from legit employment. Like, this is bullshit. The Kramers are eight years into a 10-year sentence, hoping for early release for good behavior. Richard is staring at potentially two years of living off of Margaret's phone company salary and living with her mom. Nah. Richard was not with the shits. He would not have it. <laughs> And he would not leave Margaret out of the loop either. Richard gathers a small trusted crew, which included Margaret, and they begin to case out Ortman's confectionery in Baltimore. So you know how like nowadays we have a bakery and a deli, like you could go get a sandwich, but you could also pick up like a cannoli or an eclair. Mm -hmm. So it's like that, but like fancy and upscale. And they also sell candy and it's the 1920s, you know? hmm. So downstairs you can pop in, you can pick up some candy, fudge, taffy, hard candies, get some pastries to go, mm-hmm. but you can also go upstairs and have a full service lunch, you know, you can get your pastries served to you up there, you can have coffee, tea, whatever. And the upstairs was like loft style. So if you sat on the edge, you can see downstairs and watch all the comings and goings of the entire place. And so that's what the crew did. Ahead of time, they would go in there and check it out to see when, you know, was the best time to make their move. Yeah. So Richard determined that the register would have the most money in it after lunch. And that was also the time that the store was the most empty and they only had one young female employee on the first floor with the register. So now that he knew what time of day they could get the most money, Richard had to d- decide which day of which month would yield the most money. And uh, He decided on April 11th because what? April 11th was a payday and it was the Friday
1: before Easter oh so people would be carrying a lot of cash on them
0: they would be buying a lot of cash but also they would be buying a lot of sweets for the holiday the sweets the pastries you know all the stuff to celebrate with
1: Mm
0: -hmm. so that morning margaret got ready and dressed as as if she were a fancy lady and had enough money to rub elbows with the folks that frequented ortman's confectionery toward the end of lunch around 1 p.m She headed into the store and up to the second floor and she took a seat with a view of the lower level. Margaret ordered steak from the waitress and she ate slowly, savoring every bite and also like stretching time, waiting Mm. for the store to empty out. The check arrives. Margaret gathers herself and slowly saunters down the stairs, checking that the man she's expecting is standing outside the door as she rounds the stairs. She notices a few customers shopping. They're distracted by the candies in the back of the stores. They have their backs turned to her. She hands the check to the woman behind the register and begins to dig in her purse for cash to pay the bill. The woman, boop, 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 pushes the buttons on the cash register. Well, but back then, it probably sounded super loud, like, psh, psh, crank, wang, honk, ching You remember those big-ass registers? Yeah. <laughs> So the drawer opens and when the woman looked up, Margaret was right by her side with a gun digging into her stomach. Margaret stared right into her eyes, like into her soul. And she said, make a sound and I'll kill you. The employee was frozen in fear. Margaret reached into the open drawer, took all of the paper money, put the gun in her jacket pocket, stuffed the money into her bra, turned calmly walked out of the door as she passed the man by the door in one swift move he put a padlock on the outside of the door and arm in arm the two of them walked calmly down the street blending in with all the other happy shoppers
1: and disappeared that's cold-blooded i'm like just picturing it in my mind yeah crazy and of course he padlocked the door so they couldn't even run out and be like hey catch that woman Yep. So smart. Kudos.
0: So meet Tiger Girl who walked away with $350. That's $6,200 today. Damn. You hear this, folks? <laughs> Your local <laughs> deli bakery candy store has thousands of dollars after lunchtime. <laughs> don't steal. Yeah, don't steal. But, you know, I'm I'm just saying. But don't steal. Don't steal. So as an aside, before I continue with the lives of Tiger Girl and the Candy Kid, I'd like to discuss Prohibition. So for those outside of the U.S., Prohibition is the restriction uh, of the sale and the use of wine, beer, spirits, and liquor. Since stores could not sell these items, they were instead sold and distributed by folks called bootleggers. Social clubs that were illegally selling these items to their patrons tend to be known as speakeasies and police would arrest bootleggers and owners and patrons of speakeasies and they would I don't know be fined or go to jail now I thought it was as cut and dry as that like the, mm-hmm. the it was a scary undercover world of oh no if I have a cup of wine there's gonna be a cop around the corner waiting to arrest me type of thing but History in our books is a lie. They lied to us. (laughs) They lied. At least in the big cities. Bootlegging was a big money maker and it was a cash business and everyone was on the take. Bootleggers paid cops to look the other way and to protect them from, you know, overzealous rookie cops. They also paid the cops to arrest their competitors. Jeez. Yeah, even judges were paid to throw out cases if someone ended up arrested. Because at the end of the day, the chief of police and the
1: judges make dough. And they want to live that jazz life, too. Yeah, so take that bribe. I'll take that. Yeah, Give me, give me a couple bucks. Yeah. Make their case disappear. And like actors, singers, people with
0: millions of dollars flock to big cities and... When they were there, they were drinking. And if you could get them the drinks, you were making bank. And everyone that helped you get it made bank too. Fuck a speak easy. (laughs) (laughs) They were not being quiet about that shit. They were just paying everybody off. Yeah. Now, if you failed to make your payment to a cop, you were going to get busted. Because they knew exactly where you were, Mm. where you were going to be, and when. And don't let your competitor pay the cops more than you because they will switch sides. There was no loyalty. And if they felt like it, they'll just take the money and arrest both of y'all. Damn. But. <laughs> That's crazy. It was, it was not just like, ooh, you know, let's wash our bags. Oh my God. Oh my God. Not in the big cities. Mm. No way. Because the first thing Tiger Girl and Richard do is celebrate. Like I said, they are living for right now. They take their portion of the of the money and they hit the jazz scene. They're dancing, drinking. Richard loved drugs. All the drugs. Coke, opium, all that shit. Weed, morphine, heroin. Good Lord, right? He wasn't a drug addict, but he dabbled. That's what he said. He said he dabbled. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you dabble with morphine, but... <laughs> <laughs>
1: pinky toe
0: in there just a little but <laughs> <laughs> and so it was while they're on the jazz scene that they saw the profit and bootlegging so they started robbing the bootleggers one of the crew was able to buy fake federal ids and they would just listen to the rumor mill and if a bar had a big stash of liquor they would pretend to be cops and take the liquor and the guns and they, you know, just walk out, and they would sell that liquor. Would sell for five hundred dollars per carload, which is nine thousand dollars today.
1: Dang. But that's so smart because technically, it's not like the bootleggers can report the robbery.
0: Yeah, and and actually, they don't think it's a robbery because they have federal IDs. Yeah, they're just they're thinking just we think... got busted. Yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. And so some of the guns, even they would sell some, they would keep some, they would sell Mm -hmm. and they would split the money and then blow it all partying and then just do it again. And the cops that, you know, they're supposed to be protecting these establishments, you Mm know, would only find out after that this happened and be like, that wasn't us, but they couldn't catch up with the crew because they were moving so quickly. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, back in prison, the Kramer brothers are denied parole and again Richard was the brawn and not the brains and the more they partied the more money they needed and I'm sure the drugs didn't help so we have a bunch of kind of messery robberies that Margaret wasn't involved in so here we go you ready Mm -hmm. all right the week before Thanksgiving two gas stations are robbed at gunpoint a week later they're out of money Two more armed robberies take place within an hour of each other for a total of $185, $3,200 today. On a different day, an armed robbery of a parking garage got them $3. And boosting an entire cash register from a coffee shop got them $3.65. Get the
1: fuck out of here.
0: $3? Yes. And that's like about 50 bucks. That was a waste of time. <laughs> And uh, maybe it was the partying, maybe it was the drugs, but desperation seems to be happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Richard's out at the cabaret, kicking it with his homies. Margaret's at home. You know, he's making eyes with this pretty young thing, and he notices a couple diamond rings on her finger. And he saw that she wasn't there with nobody, you know? Because, you know, like, if you have a man, you go with your man to the cabaret. You know what I mean? Richard buys her drinks and he dance with her and he's sweet talking her all night. And the two of them, you know, get a taxi. They go back to her place and he walks her to the door. And you know how like some brownstones have like an outer door and then you step inside and then there's another door until you're like in the house proper. Yeah. All right. So the two of them are in that middle section and um, you remember the movie Hitch with Will Smith? Mm-hmm. And he's like, if she fiddles with her keys, it means she wants a kiss. Yeah. So Miss Pretty Young Thing is fiddling with her key, and they're making eyes at each other. And Richard Sweet talking her. And she closes her eyes and leans in for a kiss. And pow, he punches her dead in her eye. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs>
1: I thought he was going to smooth it. He <laughs> hits her? Oh, my God. She drops to the, cr-
0: to the ground. Pow! He punches her again, breaking her nose. Blood oh. is pouring down her face.
1: Oh. He yanks
0: the rings off her fingers and opens the door and just walks out around the corner and out of sight. Jeez. Each ring was worth $100 for a total of $3,500.
1: I mean. In today's money.
0: In, yeah, in today's money. Like, new fear unlocked. Will I ever close my eyes when I
1: kiss a man again? <laughs> Can't you imagine trying to kiss a dude now just,
0: mm, eyes
1: open. Eyes open.
0: they <laughs> <laughs> will be like, what the hell is wrong with or like, you? Or like holding their hands.
1: Yeah. And
0: they're like I'm gonna hold on to my something. hands.
1: Where's... I like it. I like it. I like to hold your hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Yeah, no. No, no more kissing with your eyes closed, ladies. Jeez.
0: And so I introduced to you the candy kid, a sweet, talking, cocaine-loving, good-looking guy. They'll punch
1: you for your rings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A week later, Richard and his crew sneakily open a car train filled with beer and begin to unload it. a train cop sees them and tries to stop them. They beat him within an inch of his life, take his gun and his badge and leave with oodles and boodles of beer. Richard is generous and shares cases of beer and a case finds its way from this guy to that guy to another guy to a cop. And this cop is eager to make a name for himself. He shows up at Margaret's mom's house. Richard answers the door in his pajamas. And the cop is like, yeah, I'm going to need you to come with me. You know, come answer some questions. And Richard's like, yeah, just let me go put my clothes on. I'll be right back. And He dips out the back door. <laughs> <laughs> and was like, uh-huh, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to be right there. I'll be right <laughs> back. The crew would head to Philly. And, you know, um... Worry about sending for their their spouses and their girlfriends later, but not before one last job. I mean, they needed money for when they got there, right? It's January 1925. The candy kid and his crew head over to a bar called Gaffney's. They order rounds for the house. They get everyone riled up, get the bartenders busy pouring drinks. They block off, you know, when the, the bartenders, you know, go to like serve drinks at the tables. They block off each end of the bar and pull guns out. Ooh. And, you know, so in between them is like the owner. And then they have guns on the employees that are like out serving drinks. Right. They tie everyone up and push them into the back room. They rob the customers, empty the register and head to Philly with $2,000 cash. And that's $35,000 today. The crew goes to Philly. They, you know, And they all move into an apartment together, you know, with their girlfriends and everything.
1: That's a lot of people.
0: Yeah, but with $35,000, it's probably a pretty big apartment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, you know, as they're partying, one member feels like Tiger Girl and the Candy Kid are spending way more than they should be able to spend. Like, why? Why do they have so much more money to spend than I have to spend? Are they taking a bigger cut and not saying anything? He starts getting more and more paranoid. And his wife isn't helping. You know, she's feeding it, feeding it. And they're constantly worried about being caught for the Gaffney robbery. So this dude decides to go back to Baltimore,
1: go to the cops, and turn rat. No. Ah! wait a minute wait a minute. i'm just trying to understand how you made sense of snitching is going to help you get a bigger piece of the pie i don't how? understand i don't understand what they needed to shoot him <laughs> i don't understand that's probably the drugs that had him paranoid probably so. i would i would guess. So he not only
0: spills about the Gaffney robbery, but also about a bunch of their other robberies and robberies they had planned for the future.
1: Sir. Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Then he tells them exactly where they live in Philly. So the remaining couples are there. They're chilling, eating lunch, playing cards, and the door busts open. And two cops bust in, and they're all, don't anybody move. Everyone scatters, of course. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to say right the women start throwing guns to their men and the lights go out and then it's just bullets flying everywhere the crew is shooting the cops are shooting it's non-stop all of a sudden the lights turn back on and everyone freezes everyone that was there was arrested all of their property was seized now The women were eventually released because it was this thing about women, how they get caught up in the jazz life and they're manipulated by men and things like that. Poor defenseless women. Poor defenseless women. And the men were extradited back to Baltimore. On January 29th, 1925, Richard was sentenced to 15 years in jail. Damn! And the Kramer brothers were there to welcome him back.
1: And they were still... <laughs> 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 Sir, the decisions the decisions you made. They were like, You dumb motherfucker, you, <laughs> <laughs> you were just about to get out. This is-
0: on February twentieth, nineteen twenty five, Richard is being escorted through the prison past the hospital ward and is handed off to an older guard who opens the gate and turns his back on Richard. Richard sees a pipe laying nearby. He grabs it and, bam, hits the guard on the back of his head, leans over him, takes his keys and his gun. Now, why do they have a gun in a prison?
1: Because they're stupid.
0: It's ridiculous. So he takes the gun, looks around, thinking no one has noticed, but then he sees a prisoner who's on cleaning duty, and he's there, like, shocked. And Richard says to him, not a word out of you. Richard pushes the gun into the prisoner's side, walks to the exit, and leaves. Unbeknownst to Richard, the guard dies and he will Ooh. soon be wanted for murder. When word reaches Richard that he's a wanted murderer, to him, this gives him clout on them screets. You know what I'm saying? For <laughs> <laughs> bad, my pajama, don't you yeah. mess with me. He has a newfound respect and he wields this to stay hidden from the authorities, having people help him out he's just chilling out, waiting for the Kramer brothers to be paroled. Hmm. But the worst part for him was that Tiger Girl was being watched very, very closely. He could not reach out to her in any way at all. But he still needed to make money. Yeah. Richard heard through the grapevine of a courier in Philadelphia who worked for Bank of America. This courier's surname was Holtzman. It was Holtzman's job to pick up bank deposits from businesses around Baltimore and drop them off at the bank. Richard heard that he could be carrying as much as $10,000 at one time. Richard puts together a crew. They case Holtzman and figure out his route, his schedule, what car he drove. The candy kid dyed his hair, mustache, eyebrows, blonde, and put on fake glasses. And on March 16, 1925, he took the train to Philadelphia. He was picked up by three members of his crew. They parked outside of Holtzman's home while he ate lunch with his wife. When he was done with lunch, he left the house with his money bags and hopped in the car. Before he could close his door, Richard climbed in the passenger seat and one of the crew members jumped in back. Richard put a gun to his side and said, do what I say or you'll be a dead man. Now drive. As Holtzman is driving the car, the car with the remaining crew. So the car they rolled up in that Richard and them rolled up in pulls up alongside Holtzman's car. And once they're like side by side, Richard tells Holtzman to stop, right? Dude in the back seat of the courier's car goes around to the front of the courier's car, pops the hood and just pulls out a bunch of wires, While he's doing that, the two dudes in Richard's car go to Holtzman's car, grab the money bags, and the entire crew plus Richard get in their car and drive off. They dump that car, hop in another car, and make off with nine thousand dollars in cash. And that and today that's a hundred and fifty six thousand dollars. Cash.
1: A lot of money. Yeah.
0: So finally, on April 15th, 1925, the goddamn Kramer brothers are released from
1: jail. (laughs) Good (laughs) Lord, it took them forever. I know. (laughs) I know, they were just steaming in jail.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. So the Kramers... Richard and their crew, they rent out apartments and hotel rooms around New York City under fake names. Because back then, IDs were just pieces of paper. So you could be whoever you wanted to be, you know? What a time to be alive. Pat. I know. <laughs> their target is Jacques Ross's jewelry store. And they wanted to go during their daily opening, which is when all of the employees were busy going back and forth to the open safe, setting up the displays and putting things in the windows and stuff like that. So on May 9th, Whitmore and three of his crew pull up to Jacques Ross. The driver stays in the car while Whitmore and two others head into the store nearly unnoticed as everyone is busy getting the store prepped for the day. They pull out guns and handcuffs. Nobody move. In seconds, all of the employees are handcuffed to each other and locked into the bathroom. A leather bag is then filled with everything from the displays and the open safe. They jump in the car and speed away with $100,000 worth of gems and jewelry. Girl, that's $1.7 million today. In today's money? Yes. Crazy. But now they have to get cash for the items. So they have to go to the underground diamond trade. The jewelry has to be separated into metals and gems. The metal then needs to be melted down and reshaped to make new jewelry pieces with the jewels that are there. They then go into wholesale pricing instead of retail pricing. So there's a loss in resale costs. And... Each go between, each person that has to go between and touch this jewelry takes a commission for the risk they're taking in dealing with stolen goods.
1: Mm. So at
0: the end of the day, they would only get 20% of the retail value of the jewelry they
1: stole in cash if they're lucky. So 20% uh, of the 1.7 million? Yes. Oh, that sucks.
0: Yeah. Jeez. so they only really got like five hundred thousand dollars it's still five hundred thousand dollars but still it was almost it's million. a big loss it's a big That's loss it's a big loss it's a big loss yeah
1: but for them it was party time baby they were going to they listen bring on the cocaine <laughs> where that morphine at baby where that morphine at, boo? When they went to the most
0: well-known clubs. They hobnobbed with politicians and famous people, and they fit in perfectly with their fancy clothes and fur coats and luxury cars. On July 16th, the target is Stanley's Jewelry Store. They're rolling six deep. They follow the same setup as before, except this time they chose a day where it was raining to avoid pedestrians. Richard and one other step inside brandishing guns, stick them up and get in the back room. One of the Kramers and another of the crew step inside behind them with their own guns out. The other Kramer brother waits outside the door. Another employee not paying attention goes into the store after the robbery starts and the brother waiting outside turns, pushes him in, puts him with the employees that are handcuffed. They empty the displays and the safe. This robbery got them $125,000 worth of jewelry and gems and that's $2,100,000 Two million one hundred dollars today. The next day they got their cash and they dipped out. And the candy kid bought himself a locomobile forty eight Terrier Edition, which I guess was a super fancy car back then.
1: The book said that it was
0: it was a car that movie stars were driving.
1: So this man did not care about keeping a local car?
0: No. But he also was Even going he- by fake names and and the this here and
1: all that other stuff.
0: Yeah, and you know, so people like when you know, like when you when you have that kind of money, who's who cares who you are? Yeah. It's like one thing if you have that kind of money and you're in the fucking hood, that's noticeable. But he's having that kind of money and living
1: in an area with other people who have who that. have that kind of money.
0: So it doesn't stand yeah. out.
1: So at this point, he's just another rich guy with a cool car. Yeah, exactly.
0: But the thing was that Richard had all this money and he was having so much fun, but he had no one to hold at night. Oh,
1: poor Richard.
0: He longed for Margaret, but he absolutely could not step foot in Baltimore. But no one's going to tell Richard no. So he decided he would do what he does best
1: he's gonna rob baltimore of margaret god damn it what yes wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute what do you mean he's gonna rob baltimore he's gonna snatch this woman up and then be like okay she's been kidnapped All right, bye. so richard has an old friend from baltimore
0: pick him up oh. and drive him back And ask around to find out where the tiger girl was. And it turns out she was at the movies. So they park a little bit up the street from the entrance to the movies in the direction she would take to walk home. And as she passes the car, they open the doors. Richard grabs her arms and pulls her into the back seat while his friend closes the door and gets back in the driver's seat and pulls off. Before she could scream, Richard lands a kiss on her mouth and she melts into his arms.
1: Aww.
0: Richard then whisked her away to a resort on Long Beach where they spend weeks vacationing with celebrities.
1: Oh.
0: Oh, Isn't romantic. that so romantical?
1: Minus him being a murderer and all, but that is so romantical. It <laughs> is romantical. <laughs> Catch just picturing her outfit in the car and her hair she, she's like oh my god i've been snitched <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: man when the money ran out richard did have to send margaret back to baltimore promising to send for her permanently and very very soon on september 14th 1925 they robbed david peck a jeweler of $45,000 of goods, and that's $780,000 today. October 5th, the target is John Linner's Diamond Shop. Again, they're six deep this time, but they do it at closing time. Everyone but the driver enters the shop. They pull their guns. They tie the men up. They gag them, force them to the floor. But they're showing the ladies a little bit of respect, and they let them stand untied. And for whatever reason, just like last time, an unexpected employee enters because no one was waiting outside. It takes them by surprise. One of the crew lifts his gun and pistol whips the fuck out of him. The women start screaming. So they're like, fuck it. Gag them and tie them up, too. Mm -hmm. They clean the place out of goods to the tune of $100,000 in 1920s money. October 19th, the Kramers heard that a jeweler would be removing gems from his safety deposit box to make sales to retailers throughout the city. The jeweler traveled with an armed driver and he kept his gems in a secured box within the car, only taking out what he needed at each store. Richard and three of the crew go on this heist. They park near the jeweler's bank and follow his car across Manhattan finally the car parks and the jeweler goes into a store the crew double park blocking the front of the armed driver's car they jump out open the driver's door pull him out and shove a gun in his gut saying make a move and i'll pump you full of holes (laughs) (laughs) two of the crew lean on the car like on the sidewalk so that people don't see what's going on on the other side Mm -hmm. with the driver under control They lean into the car, locate the box that has the gems. They take the gems. The three of them jump back into their car and drive off with $50,000 worth of raw gems or $870,000 today. Then the Kramers hear of an opportunity up in Buffalo, New York. And the entire crew heads up there on October 28th. The target cash that's being delivered from the Federal Reserve to the Bank of Buffalo to cover Friday's payroll withdrawals. What made this different is that the money traveled with guards in one of the very first armored trucks. The trucks traveled with two guards, one who stayed with the truck and one who removed the cash from the back and delivered it to the banker. Every Thursday, the pair followed the same route. Arriving at the bank at the same time every single Thursday, October 29th, a Thursday is the day. They load into the car and drive down the one-way street that the bank is on. They pass the bank and bust a Yui and they park facing the wrong way on the one-way street. Richard walks down the street to the bank door and he's pretending to be a client waiting for the bank to open and he's not alone. He's not the only one there. He chit-chats with an elderly man who's also waiting for the bank to open. Eventually, the old man saunters off to a coffee shop and the armored truck pulls up. The money guard climbs out the truck and opens the back door. The banker walks over to him and takes delivery of two money bags. The truck door is locked and the guard accompanies the banker back to the entrance of the bank. Approaching the entrance, the banker tucks... The bag in his right hand up into his left armpit and digs for the bank key in his right pocket. Are you picturing this?
1: I'm trying to picture this. All right.
0: So, so the banker's walking, one mm-hmm. bag in each hand, right? And he gets to the door, kind of like you do with groceries. He puts everything in his left arms.
1: Yeah, and you try to, to get jump, the pumple. get the key,
0: yep. right? Got it. So as he's digging for the key in his right pocket, Richard steps forward with a smile and says, "Good morning." And at the same time, everyone but the driver comes climbs out of the getaway car. Richard oh. then pulls a gun and says, stick him up where I can see him. But without hesitation, he aims and shoots the banker directly in the elbow of the arm that's holding the money bags. Oh, Jesus. The money bags drop. He bends down, picks up the bags. The banker is screaming, I've been shot. All of the pedestrians stop and look and then shots begin to ring out all over the place. Everyone in the crew is just shooting everywhere, anywhere, causing mass confusion and mayhem. The driver is slowly moving the car down the street. Folks on the street are ducking for cover, running into stores, hiding behind parked cars. One of the crew walks up to the driver's side of the armored car and puts a bullet in the driver's head. Holy smokes! The money guard starts to return fire. The crew is firing back. Richard is clipped at the wrist and drops one of the money bags. At the same time, the guard returning fire is hit. He falls to his knees. The car catches up with the crew. They start opening the doors and they're hanging from them, shooting back at the guard. The guard is hit again and falls. They speed off, switch cars, dump the guns, and they make off with $93,000 in cash money. And that's $1.6 million today. But in their wake, they left two dead
1: guards. Oh, get serious now.
0: Yep, Richard was ready to bring his wife by his side in New York City. He rented an upscale apartment with a doorman, elevator operators, and a concierge. He went down to Baltimore and kidnapped her again. (laughs) (laughs) And the two settled in and the tiger girl joined the crew as their gun mall. For each job, she would retrieve a bag of guns from a locker at Penn Station, jump in a cab, Cross paths with her paramour, and passed the bag off with a kiss. Okay. December 19th, the target is a jewelry manufacturer named Prip. As a manufacturer, he kept lots of precious metals and lots of varieties of gems in stock. All clients were high class, ordering the most expensive pieces imaginable. Prip's office is on the sixth floor of the building, so when they go half of the crew takes the elevator and the other half take the stairs and they meet up just outside the office. One of the Kramers and the candy kid go into the shop while two others wait in the hallway. Because you see, a few days earlier, the Kramer brother placed an order for a bracelet of platinum and diamonds sure to be held in the largest safe in the office. He greeted Prip who found Richard's presence suspicious. Oh, Lord. Don't we go? be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> don't be suspicious. So, Prib heads to the safe, and trusting his gut, he quickly slammed the safe door shut. Ooh. Richard and Kramer pull their guns, stick em up. Employees start to dash out the door and are pushed back inside by the crew waiting in the hall. Get em up, Richard shouted face is in the floor he steps over prip and bam pistol whips him Ooh. everyone's tied up by their ankles and their wrists they take everything in sight they're bummed about missing out on the safe they make off with fifty thousand dollars worth of goods which is eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars today
1: Man, i thought you were gonna say they were gonna force this
0: dude to open the safe the book said that Richard didn't mean to hit him so hard that he passed out. Ooh! He meant to try to force him to open the safe, and he knocked him. so he, though. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh man. Okay. Yeah,
0: January nineteen twenty-six. The great, the Kramer brothers learned that a diamond dealer named Gouvi, and that's spelled G-O-U-D-V-I-S. He's from Gouvie. Amsterdam. So, okay. I'm just V's that doesn't sound right. Goudvis, Goodvis. Oh, maybe Goodvis, right? They speak Dutch in Amsterdam. Goodvis. I
1: think that sounds.
0: All right, we'll go with that. All right. <laughs> would be receiving a shipment of high quality diamonds from Amsterdam. The diamonds would be brought by his brother, who is also a diamond dealer, and his brother would bring it to a security deposit box at a bank. Four blocks from Goodvis's office. Goodvis would then stop by the bank the next business day, pick up the diamonds, and bring them to his office in his pocket. Dog, I have anxiety carrying more than fifty dollars cash on my person.
1: (laughs) I would be I was gonna be like, nah, nah, nah. nah. I'm keeping that debit card. (laughs) <laughs>
0: I would be trembling
1: if I had to carry diamonds. Uh, oh, that's, that's, uh, anything happens, that's not replaceable. I, I don't know.
0: But he had a reason for feeling so comfortable to do so. Okay. The neighborhood was crawling with cops. Oh. With all these robberies taking place, and this being the heart of the diamond district, not only were there uniform cops all over the place, but there were also plain clothes cops. So, oh. what could possibly happen? The Kramers start clocking Gudvice's movements before the shipment arrives. And this man is very predictable. He follows the same path at the same time every time he goes to the bank. But the thing is that he goes to the bank in the morning, like broad daylight. And they can't have a shootout like in Buffalo because there's way too many cops. Yeah. So, 9 a.m. All right, you got to get ready to picture this in your mind. Okay? 9 o'clock in the morning. 9 Mm a.m. The crew dresses up like businessmen and they post up around the bank here and there across the four blocks that Goodvis would be walking. And so these four blocks from the bank, you go up. A few blocks and then left over a few blocks to his office. And just for ease of this part of the story, I'm not going to be using names, okay? Okay. All right. Goodvis leaves the bank and starts up the block. Mm-hmm. He passes a crew member who, after a little while, starts to follow him inconspicuously, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As they walk, they pass the next crew member. The one that was following from behind speeds up a little bit and passes Goodvies. As he does that, the crew member they just passed goes behind Goodvies. Okay. So you've got one in front and one behind. And they're a good distance away from him, but they're remaining in step with him. Gotcha. Right? As they approach the left turn, The first dude, the dude in front steps aside. He is now the lookout. Okay. In the crowd of people waiting to cross the street, there's another crew member taking up the front position. Hmm. Okay. So the three of them cross the street. Good is in the middle. He has no idea what's going on. They're walking and up ahead parked to their right, to like right there on the sidewalk, is the getaway car. And to the left, by the buildings, are two crew members just chatting near a doorway, paying no attention to the pedestrians milling about. As the trio approach the crew by the car, the guy in front slows down just a bit, and the one in back moves a bit faster. And right in front of the doorway, they grab Gudvis, Shuffle him over to the two guys that are waiting there. And this is no regular doorway. This doorway is inset. Oh geez. It's back a few feet. So when you're looking up and down the street, you can't see what's happening in there. So, oh. the,
1: you know what I mean? Okay, so it's like, it's basically like a cove. Like the yeah, doorway. like an
0: alcove. Okay. Yes. And so they scoop him. They, they take him. They push him in there. One guy stands guard. The other three, and and it's Richard and one of the Kramers and somebody else, just start pistol whipping the shit out of him. Three people just like, gun, 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 whip, whip, whip. Some folks are walking by. They notice a commotion, but, you know, this is New York City. Everyone is in mind my business mode. Yeah. They grab the envelope with the diamonds, jump in the getaway car, and leave. The dude that was on lookout across the street, Just turns and gets on the subway. The total haul was five hundred thousand dollars worth of diamonds. That is in their money. In their money. In our money.
1: That's eight point six million dollars. That should have been it. That should have been take your money, split it up, and I'm moving. This is retirement. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm moving to West. Montana in the wilderness <laughs> minding my business like this is when you get out this, this, this is it but we have to remember that
0: the candy kid is 24 and tiger girl is 23 so retirement's not on their minds but at the same time they don't have to do any robberies for a while yeah I hope you know it's like March 1926 Richard's out at the club It's like 5 a.m., he's wasted, the owner's trying to close up, he's annoyed, and Richard's all like, what's this crab wine, you know, all drunk, what's this crab wine, You disturbing me all night. And he's low-key trying to impress these two high-class dudes he's been chilling with, and he's all, bring me the best wine in New York City. And the owner's all, hey, buddy, boy, that is the best wine you're going to find. And Richard's all, well, I better wine at my apartment. Let's blow this joint, fellas. So Richard and these dudes jump into Richard's car. And he is swerving all over the place. He's running lights. He's hanging out the window, yelling at other cars. He jumps the curb in front of his building, runs upstairs. Comes down with the wine and takes off again. I mean, why not just bring the dudes inside to drink the wine? Nope. It wasn't happening. No. Now, behind the scenes, the cops are super embarrassed about all of these robberies and no arrests. And they heard about this young dude with so much money and seemingly no job. And so they had been tailing Richard for a while, and they were tailing him this night. As the sun starts to come up, Richard notices that he's being tailed and he hits the gas pedal to the metal. The cops do the same and they are bumper to bumper. Richard leans out his window and starts shooting at police. They're swerving between cars. The cops are shooting back like fuck a bystander. Oh my God. <laughs> Yo. Richard runs out of bullets. The cops run him off the road. They put the gun right in Richard's face. They're like, out of the car, all of yous. The cops are patting them down. And Richard's all like, I got a couple thousand dollars in that pocket for your troubles. The cop turns Richard to face him and pow, cold clocks him in his face. And Richard falls to the ground. TKO. Damn. Over time, apartments are raided, evidence is found, and that evidence is used to track down other crew members, including Tiger Girl. When they got Tiger Girl, she had the the tickets for the locker with the guns. Everyone was arrested. But it was Richard's arrest that caused contention because see, he was wanted for murder in Baltimore, along with the completion of the sentence that he escaped the 15 years
1: oh geez that's right yes oh damn Mm -hmm.
0: he's wanted for double murder and robbery in buffalo and then countless robberies and assaults in new york city who will prosecute him do they go for the obvious obvious win do they start with the lesser charges and let the sentences build up well Since he's a fugitive from Baltimore, he can be extradited back. But if he gets off on those charges, he's not a fugitive of New York. So they won't be able to bring him back from Baltimore to face charges in New York. So it was settled. New York goes first. Okay. So then it's do we try him in Buffalo or do we try him in New York City? And New York City was like, fuck a buffalo. Don't nobody care about no damn buffalo. This is New York City, motherfucker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> New York was like, uh-uh, we go first. I don't even care about the rest of y'all. Y'all figure it out. Yep. And on top of that,
0: New York City had his wife under arrest, and they could use that against Richard. Ooh. So the interrogations begin, and the New York City cops use their best interrogation tactics to get into the minds of these crooks. They beat the shit out of them. Yeah, hours. I was going to say
1: their best minds. <laughs> they probably whooping his motherfucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see it. Oh, my God. No, you, you going to admit it now? you going to admit it now? <laughs>
0: And they beat them for hours, day after day after day. And two of them cracked. These two happen to be drug addicts. And so they're being beat, and they're also going through withdrawal. Both of them spilled the beans. They told the absolute truth about everything. Everything. And their stories corroborated one another. The cops go to Richard and let him know that they spilled. But Richard still doesn't talk. So they saunter margaret past the office in handcuffs like pushing her around being a little rough with her and she shouts richard richard my love and he yells margaret get your grubby hands off my lady and he (laughs) turns (laughs) and he turns to the cops and he says i'll tell you everything everything but you gotta let her go i'm not saying a word unless you let her go so margaret and her lawyer meet with the d.a And they write up an agreement and sign it and make it official if Richard tells them everything she goes free now it's time for Richard to spill the beans the DA would ask the questions and a stenographer would take everything down this went on for days multiple hours each day Richard told them about robberies they didn't even know about but see Richard didn't take too kindly to those two crew members that turned red So he put on his candy kid routine and made the snitches the heart and breath of the robberies. All Richard did was make a plan, but he didn't execute anything. That was all the work of the rats. And he was so good with his words that the DA didn't realize that he was doing that until he read back what the stenographer took down and compared it to the statements from the snitches and realized that he got got tiger girl was freed and the candy kid was sent off to buffalo who doesn't give a shit about buffalo now huh bitch (laughs) and so just a quick reminder of the robbery in buffalo this is the one with the armored truck the two murdered guards the banker that got shot in the elbow and the shootout in the street with the money bags tiger girl goes home to baltimore and you know the candy kid is shipped off to buffalo The prosecution is prepared with eyewitness statements and they claim to have mountains of evidence. The defense was that Richard was not in Buffalo the day of the robbery.
1: Hmm. The
0: eyewitnesses were interesting. (laughs) They pay off. That's all I want to
1: know. The banker,
0: the most reliable, only saw the gun in his moment of fright. Interesting. A bystander across the street stated that he saw Richard, but on cross had to admit that he had bad eyesight. A nervous eyewitness claimed the person he saw that day was not in the courtroom. And the prosecutor asked, are you nervous? And he said, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm scared, I suppose. And the prosecutor said, scared of what? He goes that they'll get me, you know, kill me. At that, all of the jurors squirmed in their seats. After that, witness after witness remembered being there, they remembered seeing the robbery, but the person they saw was taller or shorter or had longer hair or lighter hair, but it definitely wasn't Richard. And the physical evidence they claimed to have did not exist and the prosecution rested. Oh. The defense opened, saying the day before the robbery, Richard traveled from New York City to Philadelphia to attend a birthday party. Departed Philadelphia back to New York City in the early hours of the day of the robbery, and had a suit tailored in New York City at 3 p.m. the afternoon of the robbery, and there were witnesses to attest to this. The tailor took the stand. Attendants of the party described their interactions with Richard at different points throughout the night. It wasn't a big party, just a group of close friends singing around the piano, dancing and enjoying each other's company. The defense rested. The jury deliberated for 15 hours, over two and a half days before returning to the court. The judge asked, has the jury reached a verdict? The foreman responded, No, Your Honor, we have not. We are deadlocked. It is hopeless, No continued discussion will produce a different outcome. The judge calls the prosecutor and the defense to the bench and tells them, I will be dismissing the jury. The prosecutor says, you mean you're calling a mistrial? The judge says, no, I'm dismissing the jury. So Richard was not guilty, but he wasn't innocent either. Buffalo could try him again. New York City could try him again. Or they could send him to Baltimore to stand trial for murder what do you
1: think they did the smart thing would be to send him to trial for the murder that they could probably get him for but i feel like new york probably pulled some shit and was like we want no they did send him to baltimore ah okay
0: while all these court cases were taking place in new york baltimore was building an airtight case for this the death penalty was on the table in maryland at the time that would be death by hanging prosecution said it was premeditated murder for the purpose of escaping prison the defense said richard was attacked by the guard it was self-defense and he left the prison for fear of punishment Jeez. and just as a side note richard defense attorney's name was edgar allen poe and he was the edgar Allan poe's second cousin's cousin what yes the inmate who witnessed the event was called to the stand and recounted everything step by step there was nothing the defense could do on cross-examination Ooh. the medical examiner for the decedent testified to the brutality of the attack and the prosecution closed with the guard's widow who described her grief and cried and stated that the person who killed her beloved should be put to death. The defense called one witness, the Candy Kid, who claimed that he was making his way back from the hospital ward and the guard accosted him, grabbing his arm and reaching for a gun. Richard began to panic and pull his arm away, but when he saw the gun, he looked around and the pipe was there and, and he picked it up and swung it. And then he he saw the damage he did and he considered the consequences and he didn't think anybody would believe him that it was self-defense, so he ran. He didn't know what else to do. He just didn't want to be shot, so he ran. (laughs) And the defense rested. After 56 minutes, the jury returned. That's never a good sign. Richard was found guilty of first-degree premeditated murder. The sentence was death by hanging. At midnight on Friday, August 13th, 1926, two months before his 25th birthday, having stolen nearly $20 million in today's money, Richard the Candy Kid Whitmore was escorted to the gallows with his head held high in front of a hundred witnesses, including the tiger girl. His last meal, salami, ravioli, spaghetti, and honeydew melon. His last words, I wish to say goodbye. That's the best I can wish anyone. The hood was placed over his head, followed by the noose tightened upon his neck. The signal was given. The trapdoor fell, and with the twitch of his feet, and a snap of his neck the candy kid was dead tiger girl and the candy kid are bonnie and clyde before bonnie and clyde this book truly transports you to the 1920s the movies the music the ambiance even the media um like you know how like in chicago roxy Hart plays it up to the to the newspapers mm-hmm. it was the same thing with um tiger girl and the candy kid but it was just too much to pack into this episode so i focused on crime okay but listeners you've got to read this book it's crazy there's so much more that happens i can't even explain there's (laughs) so much more that happens that i could not get into or this would have been like four parts long and i'm not trying to do multiple parts on on this on this podcast so go get this book Almost every library, at least in my library's network, has this book. So go to your library. Chances are they'll have it. Mm. It's amazing. Time for our library event. Murder at the Mardi Gras Masquerade Ball is taking place at Henderson County Public Library at 101 South Main Street in Henderson, Kentucky, on February 9th. 2024 from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. in the Pittsburgh Tank and Tower Suite A, B, C. Registration is required. Sounds fun. Come to the library for our second murder mystery event. We will be taking a trip to New Orleans. The Madison Avenue Mansion is having their annual Mardi Gras masquerade ball. While the citizens are thrilled for the party, they know that something always goes wrong. The mansion is rumored to have ghosts. Dress up in your best masquerade attire and sharpen your acting skills. Everyone will join in the story. A dinner will be provided from the Feed Mill restaurant. Disclaimer, food allergies. We cannot guarantee that food served at this program has not come into contact with tree nuts, soy, or other
1: allergens. Hmm.
0: That sounds fun, huh?
1: It does sound fun.
0: Do you know how expensive murder mysteries are? No. I say this almost every episode when they have something dope. It's expensive. They <laughs> have one. They, we only have like one in the state one, like, um, like. where are not one that comes to you, but like,
1: mm-hmm. you, you have you to go, go there and yeah.
0: And it's like $75 per person. Ooh, but the food menu is trash.
1: Oh,
0: on. It, I, I don't remember what's on the menu, but it's a bunch of stuff. I would never pay to eat ever 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 i'd look it up now but since it's the only one in the state i'm I'm not gonna trash them that hard
1: okay any publicity is good publicity (laughs) no they don't no they don't deserve it they gotta do better they gotta do better
0: (laughs) but this is nice it's free it's dope i think this is pretty dope that's our show Please, listeners, follow, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, follow us on Instagram. And most importantly, head down to your local public library, enjoy a free event, and hit the stacks on your way out. Bye, Sam. Bye, Cat. Peace.